Hello everybody, James here. It's Franchise University with the franchise Shane Douglas. Oh, man, I've ruined the first sentence, but I'm carrying on. It's going to be a long day, Shane. Let me tell you, we've got a lot of recording to do, a lot of podcasts to do, as you well know. I've been just complaining to you about the rest. Uh, the one thing, I'm going to apologise to you again, the audio still not fixed. It's a very complicated process with software conflicts. For some reason, the microphone isn't working. So for a couple more episodes at least, I'm sorry, it's got to be uh, audio off a phone. But, you, you know, the uh, the erudite and uh, well-projected voice of Shane Douglas will cut through the audio limitations to entertain you, I'm sure. Well, we might be able to use smoke signals or with this a uh, little bit of a uh, cough or something I have right now, but it won't be the same sweet melodic franchise voice this week. <laughs> no, I, I was going to say it won't work, but if the sweet melodic franchise voice on Franchise University. <laughs> right, so, um, as you know, we don't do plugs on this show at the moment. I mean, at some point I will, but this is going to be another news episode and it's very fortuitous. You couldn't make it last week. That's not fortuitous because of the snow. Uh, this yeah. week, uh, we're doing a news episode again, which is sort of out of character for us. We usually do it once a month. But yesterday, as we record this, this is uh, being recorded on a Saturday, Vince McMahon resigned from WWE and, and, and more specifically the TKO board. Yeah. And ah, there's a lot to say about this. Would you like to start off or would you like me to give you all the latest news first to react to? Yeah, let's get the latest because like I was traveling yesterday, and like when it first started breaking, uh, you know, it was almost hourly. There were new points coming out, and then I was driving all day yesterday, so I'm sure there's probably been at least a few things that have come out that I hadn't had a chance to catch up on yet. So bring me up to speed, please. Okay, uh, the uh, the lawyer for the lady in question, Janelle Grant, was on a uh, law. A legal podcast, essentially. Uh, she didn't really add much to it, so and luckily I, I didn't write down any of the quotes for that. But uh, the uh, latest news is about ten hours from when we record this. Vince McMahon has resigned. Nick Khan of WWE and TKO said, "I wanted to inform you that Vince McMahon has tendered his resignation from his positions as TKO executive chairman and on the board of TKO directors. He will no longer have a role with TKO Group Holding or WWE." That was an internal email uh, that was made public to everybody relevant and Vince McMahon has made a statement as well saying I stand by my prior statement that Ms. Grant's lawsuit is replete with lies obscene made up instances that never occurred and is a vindictive distortion of the truth I intend to vigorously defend myself against these baseless accusations and look forward to clearing my name and then he said out of respect for WWE and TKO he has resigned on that basis effective immediately Previous news was that TKO's response uh, originally was that it was going to be an internal investigation into Vince McMahon, as I'm sure you'll expect. And one of the bigger bits of news that could have a knock-on effect is that Slim Jim has paused advertising with WWE. They were going to sponsor, as we record this, tonight's Royal Rumble match. And they've wow. now pulled out, uh, paused, essentially. Slim Jim values integrity and respect in all of our partnerships. Given the recent disturbing allegations... Against Vince McMahon at this time, we've decided to pause our promotional activities with WWE. This decision reflects our commitment to our brand values and responsibility to our community. The only other thing is that as of now, as we record this, uh, the Royal Rumble press conference is still going ahead. But maybe they might want to cancel that. Yeah, I could very well. Well, first of all, I did know all of that except the Slim Jim part. So that's the part that popped in after I was on the road. Uh, you know, I, I'm just sitting here wondering as you were saying that. 
you know, with this recently announced $5 billion deal with uh, Netflix, that was my first curiosity that popped into my head uh, when I heard this is like, you know, this deal's pending. Uh, never read one sentence of it. I was told it had a five-year uh, an out clause after five years. Yep, yep. So, uh, uh, you know, I'd be curious to know, again, not being an attorney, you know, because this is the kind of stuff like, you know, if, if it's validated, you know, if it turns out, because all, let's phrase with allegations, right? These are all allegations at this point. Being a constitutional guy here in America, everybody is uh, presumed innocent until proven guilty. And, uh, you know, so this is, let's assume on both sides of the fence, let's assume the girl's not telling the truth. And this is going to clearly has already done some damage to that brand. Uh, now, how quickly they can bounce back. And let's assume that Vince did it. The girl's right. Uh, you know, it, 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 this is the kind of thing that, you know, as we know in this world today, destroys people's lives, you know. So uh, it, 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 this is, like I said, uh, the other day I was talking to a friend of mine and I said, you know, with... Uh, just how big this is. And at one point, I don't know what it is now, but a few years ago, WWE was the sixth most recognizable brand on the planet. You know, there. so this is going to catch eyeballs all over the world. You know, Vince McMahon is a worldwide figure because of WWE. And, uh, you know, certainly not going to be on par as far as uh, uh, import, as like I said, the, the OJ trial. But this is probably going to be the closest equivalent that kids that, that were born after that are going to see. Uh, it, it's just a fascinating thing. And, you know, I'll just muse for one second on my soapbox. It, we've talked about this before. I've talked about it in multiple other shows and interviews. When you are in a bubble, it, it's very easy to lose sight of what the reality of the world around you is. And I'm not uh, saying this as a as my nod of approval to it, but in wrestling, we live in a bubble, especially in a company as big as WWE. And, and some of those people take that to meaning things like we can do pretty much whatever we want and, uh, you know, we're going to be protected. And, you know, there's plenty of stories out there, and, and I'm sure many of them accurate as to the examples of that from guys in the business. Vince McMahon has, you know, he has entered that, that rarefied, stratified portion of the human uh, population that very, very, very few people in history have ever breathed that air. Uh, you could see how something like that, as successful as he's been, as powerful as he's been, that, uh, that you could have a sense of entitlement and, uh, uh, you know, that you know, impervious because this fight them called the WWE is my kingdom and I can do whatever I want here. And nobody in, you know, it's like the, the people in the interview room that day doing the vignettes that had just said my way was better. Vince came in and suddenly his way was better. So, you know, it, the employees there have a very, uh, I don't know if it's something that goes out in a memo or if it's just, you know, acknowledged that whatever Vince says goes. And, you know, so it, it just the opportunity, when you have that kind of money to put layer upon layer upon layer upon layer, of protection and alibi or whatever else. That said, I, I it, there there are certain things about this that I'm hearing from friends of mine. I, I never knew Vince quite that well, but about being a clean freak, you know. So the defecation thing in his office seems like if you're you know, if you're a clean freak, I don't think you'd want to have you know feces uh, floating around your office. 
but again, who knows what goes through people's heads. And it's, uh, it, it, I just wrap it up with this. It's going to make a hell of an interesting uh, year or two, whatever it's going to take for this to go on, because this is going to take on, you know, with all the nuances of quote unquote sports entertainment, this is going to take on its own life. You can already see the memes writing themselves, right? I mean, it's, I've, I've been sent quite a few, I must say. With, um, but you know what? You, you mentioned two things there, like uh, Cosby, Bill Cosby, uh, sure. Harvey Weinstein, or Weinstein. Uh, Donald Trump has had a lot of accusations. He just lost a big um, defamation suit as well, in fact, yesterday as we record this. Some people who sort of rise to the top have fame, fortune, a sense of entitlement. And it seems with Vince, because there are so many... End you know when you say there's no smoke without fire kind of thing? I mean, I, I really don't like that saying because it's not fair sometimes to say that. But with Vince, there are so many NDAs, there are so many accusations, there are so many rumours going around him. You can't see the fire for the smoke. There's, right. there's so... There's just decades of accusations... And there's nearly $20 million out just in NDAs of, of the women who allegedly were assaulted, because we always have to say allegedly, we always have to qualify that, and rightly so. That yeah. uh, how many more are there out there? Will more women, um, you know, have the courage to, assuming all this happened, of course, uh, oh. come out and, and share their stories as well? And my guess would be yes. I mean, and again, no inside information, but, you know, uh, a leopard doesn't change his spots and a tiger doesn't change his stripes, right? So if you've done it once and gone away with it, and I think underscoring this as, as just like sort of the bedrock to all of this uh, in support of what you're saying is that we already now know that Vince was basically stealing money from the company to, to pay a lot of these people off. So his character is already impugned. And, you know, it's, you know, when I see the, the Mia Culpa, you know, I look forward to doing that. I mean, that's a standard, you know, uh, boilerplate uh, uh, comment of what you have to say in, in a situation like this. But, yeah, it, it's, you know, it, it surprises me that here we are, what, three, four, five, six years after this whole Me Too movement starts and, uh, you know, level that a lot of that playing field. Uh I thought that when that first started happening, because, you know, we we've heard things in our in the industry, excuse me, and, you know, wondering, like, are these women going to start coming out of the woodwork? And there there seemingly weren't like, there, you know, a couple of things popped up here and there, but, you know, it sort of weathered over it and, and, and Vince went through it sort of unscathed, which to those of us in the business, you know, we were like, how the hell do you pull that one off? You know, like, to, to be able to get through all that. And, you know, again, I'll plead my naivete. Uh, when we found out that there was the, an FBI investigation, I just assumed that that was over the embezzlement money and, you know, the payoff money and everything. Well, well, actually, and, uh, because you mentioned that, this is a civil suit. This isn't a criminal suit. So would the FBI get involved with a civil suit like this? Well, no, but they might very well. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of U.S. agencies right now do things outside the the boundaries and uh you know would they being that uh vince is, is aligned a certain way uh politically that you know would there be you know some hey 
back channel, hey, hey, attorney, here's some papers you didn't get them from us type of thing. Uh, I, I don't know. But you know, this is the kind of thing. Remember when I said, and I don't know if it was on, on, on here with you, James, or one of the other podcasts or some other interview. Whenever Vince came out of the steroid trial well, back in the 90s and uh, you know ripped the neck brace off and said, yeah. I'm Vincent yeah. McMahon. Uh, and I said, this is why you don't <laughs> you don't poke that bear. You know, just stay to the high road. You look forward to getting back to work and, you know, putting a great product out. But by doing that, all you do is you get that whole agency going, fangs out, and we'll sit and wait like wolves in, 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 in sheep's clothing. And, uh, you know, it's you know going to be a lot of time for him to second guess a lot of the stuff he's done. Uh, but, you, you know, Vince, uh He's he's an intelligent guy and he's an incredibly successful guy. Uh, you know, I, uh, my personal differences with him aside, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens here. And uh, you know, is you know this this woman's attorney who I have no idea who it is, but is are they going to be up for the challenge of going against that Goliath? You know, the, the Goliath of even though he's not part of TKO and WWE supposedly anymore right now. Uh, you know, he Vince is a formidable uh, a person in that way, and he and he will come out swinging. And you know, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. It's uh, it, I'll say this: if this happened again, these are allegations at this point. If this happened, kudos to this young girl that she came out and you know stood up for herself. If she didn't, if it didn't happen. To propone for Vince as, as little as I like to, uh, uh, this will have done some bit of damage to him because you know there's always people, and I think there's a lot of uh, evidence to it that'll say, ah, he's a billionaire. That's why he got off, or he knows Donald Trump is white, or he knows this or that or whatever. Uh, you know, so it, it, I'm just sort of fascinated just sitting and watching. I love this kind of. Uh, you know, stuff just to the nuts and bolts of the law of it, you know, and, the, and, the, and what the Constitution says, uh, you know, pertaining to this kind of thing. So, uh, going to be, I think, the, you know, Orville Redenbacher is going to be seeing their stock pop up here quite a bit in the next year or two. <laughs> I, uh, one more thing I'll pick up on you, but we'll, I'll, I'll say this and then I'll get through the meat of the lawsuit as best we can in the time we have available, because it's 67 pages, this, is that it's not unheard of that a number of high-profile, uh, hard-working executives, politicians, that kind of thing, engage in a bit of paraphilia, you know, the extreme end yep. of sex. So, uh, anyway, I'm going to give you some quotes. I'm going to give you some outlines. You stop me, or I'll, or I'll sort of throw it to you when you want to add something to it. So, for those who don't know, and to be honest, who doesn't know at this point, I'm going to read the most shocking allegations to you, everybody. And Janelle Grant is suing for undisclosed damages against Vince McMahon, John Laurinaitis, who uh, you can uh, personally verify. Uh, I'm not personally verify some stories about what's happened in this lawsuit, but you know, you tag team partnered with him and uh, in the ring. And uh, that kind of thing, as well as WWE. Now, the crux of the matter is Janelle Grant was down on a look and through a mutual friend. She was given Vince McMahon's number in order to get a job. Vince liked her a lot, found her very attractive, a stunning woman as well. Uh, decided to hire her, didn't actually have a role for her, but then hired her first and then figured out where to fit her later. Uh, during several meetings that were ostensibly about a potential job at WWE, this is a quote now, 
He greeted her, he he being Vince, in his underwear, touched her, repeatedly asked for hugs, and spent hours sharing intimate details about his personal life. Now, quite a lot of the lawsuits uh, at the beginning talks about this sort of like grooming behavior of, you know, like Vince appearing vulnerable, and then once basically she's in his web, the relationship turns, essentially. So Grant says she was now coerced into a sexual relationship she doesn't want to be in because she needs the money, and then McMahon starts controlling her. Then there's an interesting encounter with somebody identified as WWE employee number one, who was introduced to Grant as the most feared person in the company aside from Vince and Jerry McDivitt. And I've written the name of who I think it is, but I won't say it out loud. During May 18, 2019, uh, encounter, Miss Grant felt coerced into engaging in sexual activity and the man had trapped her in an impossible situation as she feared adverse career and personal consequences and legal retaliation if she declined his advances. The man stated that this is what I have been waiting for, quote, as he performed oral sex on Miss Grant. Miss Grant asked that protection be used and the man responded that there was no need to worry because he was, quote unquote, clean. So that's sort of how it begins. Wow. Yeah. What a sordid tale we weave, right? I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, I, you don't even know like where to start with that, you know, because it, it sounds like like a really bad dime novel. It, it's, you know, uh, you, 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 first time you're meeting somebody, you walk in an underwear. I mean, allegedly, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I, just, I can't see myself doing that in any circumstance. It seems a bit strange, but you're right. I, I think, this girl was a very attractive, is a very attractive young woman. And, you know, and, and I think everybody out there right now could understand this. You know, I needed the job, right? You know, this is, you know, the economy and everything tanking and, you know, 21, 22 years old, young girl, right? Uh, and so you're walking in and, and, and I think it needs to be said here too. Vince McMahon is a very imposing figure, both physically and stature. Uh, you know, probably a few inches taller than me, you know, great shape for his age, uh, great shape period. But I mean, you know, especially for his age and, you know, because of, you know, six most recognizable brand on the planet, most human beings, if, even if you're not a wrestling fan are aware of who Vincent McMahon is. And so, you know, when you, when most civilians, I'll say, walk into a room and they see an undertaker or a Steve Austin or a Bret Hart, uh, you know, there, there's a bit of an intimidation factor there because you grew up watching these people and, and Vince being the most imposing of them, uh, you know, because of the way he carries that company. And I said, the, you know, one of, well, I think two sides of, of a different, of the same coin right now, because I've said how many years the smartest thing Vince ever did was created the character, Mr. McMahon, because it gave him a front. And well, now that front might be a little bit sticky and tacky and he can't get away from it. But it, yeah, it's, I mean, the whole way through this, like, it, it, and I'm sure you're going to keep, keep all the other information like that. In the few texts that I had read, uh, you know, I thought to myself, like, it just, it's so smarmy and, and so tasteless uh, and vulgar in places that to any employee employer relationship and you broach into that kind of conversation. I, I think is so far beyond the pale, especially today, you know, again, in, in, in the shadow of, of the Me Too movement. And, uh, you know, I, I just read for anybody out there that hasn't read through this, and I'm sure there probably are many people that haven't. Uh, when you go through and read those, and, and again, make the assumptions on both sides. He's innocent. She's she's right. I mean, whichever way you, you look at this, uh, 
you know, and you have to wonder to yourself that, you know, why would somebody in that position do that? I mean, it's, it's really a strange oddity to me. And I, as I'm getting older, I used to think as a kid, like the world was full of good people and a few bad people in it. And now as you as you, you grow up and mature and sort of pay attention to things, you realize there's there's some damn good people out there, but the vast majority are maybe on that other side. Uh it it's it's just a curiosity to in my brain. Like I told you before, when when things don't make sense to me, they sort of bounce around on my head and echo in there. I just can't just forget it and move on. And you know, is this like a you know, quote unquote, midlife crisis type of thing, you know, he and blended divorce. And, uh, you know, again, if, if, if true and, uh, you know, it's one, having been inside that culture and again, not seen nearly as much of it as some of my, my peers have, uh, you know, it, it was a strange, strange place to work. You know, the, the things that you see, uh, so, you know, go ahead. It's, it's... Well, I'm I'm so pleased you mentioned Linda because a common thread in the court papers is that Grant wants to break it off with Vince and then Vince refuses. Another common thread is Vince insists that the relationship must be kept quiet for the sake of appearances, even though Vince and Linda McMahon long have been separated, but they're married on paper for more her political career, I imagine. But here's the, here's the I'm going to ask you two questions here. One, Linda and your opinion on what Linda must have been thinking and why they split up and all that kind of thing. And the other is, if he wants it kept quiet so much, why is he constantly telling employees around him about the relationship? Is it all purely to brag? Is it to isolate her from everybody else in the office? Very possible. Uh, First part first, uh, Linda. In my dealings with Linda, uh, and this is not meant to be any kind of slam towards Vince, it just seemed to me that she was the much sharper of those two uh, tools. You know, she, uh, uh, well-spoken lady, carries herself very professionally, uh, which is part of the reason why I think like she was, you know, front and center like the, in that company for so long because she is a, I, don't get me wrong, she's a tough businesswoman, a very intelligent woman, but she has that uh, uh, that that softer side you know, that doesn't come down like basically the sledgehammer all the time. Uh, but I, in talking with her, anytime I had, and there weren't many, but the, the couple times I had issues and I would go to her, it seemed like it got taken care of pretty quickly. Like it was resolved very fast. And, you know, the the other uh, tool, uh, Vince, you know, there was this whole lot of, well, let me look into a pal. And it, you know, it's just like the, just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. So I always had a lot more respect for Linda. Uh you know, but when you're again, I don't think it's easy to say the word six most recognizable brand on the planet. But when you stop and you think what that means, and you know, like look at the power we're seeing corporations amass today. You know, I just what was it like a couple of years ago? The first company evaluated at a trillion dollars, and now it's worth three or four trillion dollars, and it's going to just keep climbing very quickly. You know, so something like the WWE. Vince, I'm guessing, prior to this, could probably call kings and queens and get them on the phone. Uh, Saudi Arabia, as example. Um, you know, so there's an awful lot that goes with that. And because you wield that kind of authority, again, if true, these are allegations, uh, that is the that is so beyond the pale to me because it's, you know, you have this young woman, right? Uh, she's 
eager to go to work and she needs the work. So, you know, it's, we've heard the story over there with Weinstein, like you said, uh, uh, Bill Cosby, and, and again, more. You hear this story all the time that to lure that over to somebody and, and then to be doing that and bragging in, about it, like you said, to other employees, uh, it sounds a lot like midlife crisis to me, right? You know, I'm hanging with the boys. You know, the boys go out and hang out with the rats all the time, and I can do it too. Uh, but, you know, like, to me, Vince, the way he always carried himself was that, you know, you know, almost like regal, you know, like he had that walk and, and everything and then just be, being the face of that company. Uh, it, 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 it just seems so odd to me. But I will also add this in, again, trying to propone to both sides of this fence. Uh, when Remember when the uh, Donald Trump... Uh, uh, tape came out what was a uh, uh, inside edition or something and uh you know he was talking about grabbing women yeah and uh you know as soon as like anybody that's ever been involved in, in, in professional athletics or even athletics uh you hear the phrase locker room banter right you know, this is what the guys do and they're all bragging and up one-upping each other and there are vulgar things said in those dressing rooms and then you know the uh cuss words get thrown around you know pretty pretty darn well and, uh, you know, it, it's just this place where I think the guys blow off steam. And I'm wondering if 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 this did not happen, like Vince has alleged in his uh, uh, comment, uh, is this, you know, hey, guys, hey, Johnny, I did it too, you know, that kind of thing, you know, where you're, 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 you're obviously trying to hang on to being, you know, younger or something and starting this different chapter of your life. It's all of it. As, as you can tell, I'm sort of like verklempt because it it's this is like so off the wall. This is so just you know wow, and the allegations that are made. My guess would be, again bouncing back to the girl side, uh, the, the young woman's side, that uh, lawyers, especially with somebody as powerful as Vince. Because if you go out, if, if you make something up and go and, you know, try to smear somebody like Vince McMahon as much, as many resources as he has, there's going to be a, a, a backlash. And, and, you know, and, and Vince, it, it ain't about Vince coming and getting your money or taking your home from it. It's about him destroying you. That's the way Vince thinks. And so, you know, I'm sure that they've been proceeded very cautiously in how they're going to approach this. And any of those things that are in those papers and those filings, I'm sure they can prove or pretty darn certain they can prove. So again, it's going to be interesting to see because there's so much, again, this technology stuff, I don't know, but I was talking to a friend of mine on the way down yesterday about this. And, you know, I said, you know, like the other day I was getting phone calls from uh, unknown numbers with my area code. And I was expecting a call from my doctor's office, so I picked it up, and it was somebody from India, uh, you know, some telemarketer. So they said, oh, yeah, you can do this. And if I have your number, I can actually call somebody else, like, say, Moose. Mm-hmm. I could call Moose with your number in there, you know, and it looked like it's you calling him. Yes, yeah, it's, it's uh, called spoofing. It's spoofing the number. Um, we can't. Uh, that's that's more of a, that's more of a technical legal issue, really. Is like how do you prove that the the text messages are from him? But even I think with text messages, even if you delete them, there's a way of recovering them after a while. So if this does lead to getting Vince's phone off him to corroborate this, 
uh, you know, yeah. take it to Discovery and they sort of get the phone off him, I guess, then that will sort yeah. that out. Um, we're going to move on. And this I've got to say, this is the funniest uh, <laughs> of, the, of the things mentioned in here. Now, well, this, is, this is bizarre. Most notably, uh, this is a quote, the man was most aggressive when using certain sex toys, named after male WWE wrestlers and performers. <laughs> McMahon named the sex toys so that the colour of the toy matched the race of the wrestler. For example, a black dildo would be named after an African-American wrestler and a white dildo would be named after a Caucasian wrestler. In addition to McMahon's infatuation with pretending that other men and namely certain WWE talent were in the room with them, this was yet another incremental step in desensitising Miss Grant to his fantasy and eventually demands uh, she perform sexual acts and uh, so forth with other WWE talent or office staff so naming your dildos after and also imagining they're in the room with you huh. yeah yeah it, it's <laughs> incredibly childish right i mean that's the first thing that pops into my head but he's uh, like he's getting off on it apparently he's like yeah this yeah. one's this one's big show this one's <laughs> you know what i mean yeah it's you know again like if you're looking if you're living in that world, and, you know you can see, you know, where uh, goofy as it sounds, you can see it. I mean, it's you know, it, it, it doesn't. It, it sounds so ridiculous, but it sounds also so professional wrestling, right? I mean, it's uh, you know the, the things that you see and you hear in the business uh, as a young man getting in. And if you'd have told me what's in my head now and put it in that nineteen-year-old kid's head. I'd probably go, what the hell? <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's uh, uh, it'd be curious to see who those other people are. You know, like I, I mean, I know, like you said, you have some thoughts, and I'm sure everybody has thoughts. Uh, but you know, it, it, you start pulling just first of all, you know, saying big show for you know this or that or whatever, calling it now swoggle for a little one. <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> Now you're pulling them in, you know, just vicariously. By you know, I wouldn't want my name, you know, being associated in this even as a joke, you know. So it's uh, <laughs> strange, just strange. All of it's strange. I'm going to speed through quite a lot of this here. As I say, you know, we've only got two days to, yeah. <laughs> to get through all this, so I've got to have to give you the short version. Uh, Vince's controlling nature leads him to insist that Grant change uh, doctors, making her go to his doctor, alternative medical establishment, it's called. And then she ends up getting coerced into threesomes, as she describes it, with McMahon and a physical therapist from said medical establishment. Now, another thing, uh, a classic grooming technique, as they say, bombard, like love bombing somebody and then switching at 180 and, you know, being quite nasty. Uh, I think some text messages describe her as, I can't find the damn quote here, but off the top of my head, bitch, my porn star, that kind of thing, sort of completely um, dehumanizing someone sexualized. Yeah, that kind of yeah. thing. But then switching up and giving them presents, calling them baby and love and that kind of thing. It's a weird thing. Anyway, uh, this I'll say briefly. A uh, she start, Vince starts demanding photos, according to this. I'll keep, I won't keep saying allegedly, but you know, just Assume I'm saying allegedly and everything here. Um, and then he starts showing photos and videos that he's demanded of uh, Ms. Grant to other people, including WWE referee. 
And I won't say who I think it is, but I'm pretty sure I know the name of that one. And that's disappointing. And uh, he goes off to whack one off in a room while looking at photos of uh, uh, the lady. And then McMahon tells Ms. Grant, and this is quote, McMahon described how WWE referee left to masturbate and told Ms. Grant she had made a perfect stranger very happy. Now, I think this is the one... Almost the headline. This is the headline grabber. You know what I'm going to say. The man also allegedly maintained total control over Grant's personal and professional life. Non-sexual text messages from Grant to Vince would be ignored. And given one-word replies, introduced to threesomes without consent, as I mentioned before. And then with the physical therapist, basically cajoles her emotionally saying, if you don't do this, we've already arranged it. I will lose a friend over this if you don't do it. So, yeah. and then she's still reticent. And that's when Vince McMahon says, I love you to her for the first time. And then she agrees. Yeah. And then here's the quote. Early in the encounter, this is the threesome with Vince McMahon and the physical therapist, McMahon immediately directed Ms. Grant to lay down on a bed. I'm laughing. It's not funny, but it's just fucking bonkers. Uh, Lay down on her back in a supplicant position. While straddling over her, McMahon defecated on Ms. Grant's head. McMahon left uh, to shower off, but he instructed Ms. Grant to remain in place with excrement in her hair and to continue performing for his friend. While Ms. Grant requested protection, none was offered. McMahon and physical therapist actively continued with the threesome and directed Ms. Grant's sexual performance for around an hour and a half while she was left covered in feces. Following the threesome on May 11, 2020, McMahon sent an explicit text message to Ms. Grant that further detailed his fantasies of seeing her engage in sexual relations. We won't deal with the text messages on this. There's too much to get through. But so Vince McMahon... According to this, shat on a woman's head for sexual. He's a coprophiliac, apparently now. <laughs> it's, you know, and again, I, I do as well. So when you say that we're laughing at this because it is so bonkers. Yeah, it's, it's incredulity laughing at this. It's like it's unreal. It's Rob. This is beyond Rob Black stuff. Right. Well, and, and when you look at. Like that, just that back and forth, you know, the I'm gonna lose a friend, putting all this pressure on this girl, you know, I'm Vince McMahon, made me lose this friend, and you know, holding it out there, and then all you know, after doing it, I love you, you know, this passive aggressive, you know, what did again, allegedly, it's true. Uh, what must have been going through this young girl's head? You know, she's in a room with this really powerful man, right? This really wealthy man. And saying these types of things and doing these types of things and uh, pushing it. I, I'd seen not this uh, a show a couple of weeks ago, and the, the woman in a similar situation, albeit not quite as bonkers, was saying that as as silly as it sounds now, uh, that all made sense to me then. You know that like this maybe this is how the world works, and when you go to work for a place as big as the WWE and this powerful people, this is what they do, and and you start to assuage it in your own head, which really is the the effect of the grooming, right? You know you're grooming them to do this, and uh, it, it's uh, my heart breaks for this girl or anybody else that would be put through this kind of thing uh, because. Of, of you know an economic opportunity you know and, and you know let's face it, a lot of people dream right a lot of people want to be in movies a lot of people want to be music stars a lot of people want to be in wrestling and these other things because it's so ubiquitous in society and and, and wrestling has finally broken through that point of you know being mainstream uh much more so than whenever i was a kid watching it that you know you could see how some young person out there would say well 
okay, this, uh, you know, I'll just do it this one time. This is what I have to do. This is my initiation or whatever. And I, I don't think any human being, male, female, uh, straight, gay, whatever. I mean, not, none of those things even apply here. No human being should be put through this kind of stuff, period. Especially, of for all things, employment. Do forgive me for this, because as I say, it's such a insane thing to say, but I, I have to throw this in. And other people have said it as well. Vince has metaphorically shit on so many people over the years, but, <laughs> but to figuratively, it's just bonk bonkeroonies. Um, <laughs> no names given. Have you ever heard any wrestler or anyone connected to the business who is into this kind of thing? Uh, uh, I, I my instant answer would be no. I'm, I'm just, I just make, just check my mental files here. I've heard one. I won't say the name. There. Uh, I've heard the golden shower thing uh, allegedly from some people. Uh, I, I don't think off the top of my head that I can recall hearing anybody doing that. But again, I, I've seen guys uh, doing things uh, uh, to young, to women, uh, you know, um, with, objects and other things and the women doing it you know so uh it, i guess at this point because it's professional wrestling nothing but something i was telling my friend yesterday that you know like the old scooby-doo things if it's a man get up there and pull a mask off he's a reptilian or something i'd go well i didn't see that one coming but i wouldn't be shocked you know <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's just another chapter yeah you'd be surprised but not shocked in that sense. yeah, yeah. we'll uh shuffle through here now i'm not going to be bringing up the text messages because to be honest i don't have it on the script i'll uh, i don't know if i'll in, even have time to insert all well, the text I'm messages a, i have on cue cards here just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, anyway the, like the fantasies continue with here including uh, this is one I, I can't read it verbatim but apparently she's vince mcmahon is really interested in getting her involved in a in a black man's gangbang and he doesn't feature in the fantasy at all. He just wants yeah. to watch. Well, he's, he's, apparently he's a voyeur as well, apparently, with all this. Um, now, another thing is, and this will sort of go with the previous accusation that I quoted, uh, Ms. Grant sustained brutal and painful injuries during uh, some of these sex campaigns, let's call them. Uh, I've not written them all, but uh, losing her hair, weight loss, PTSD, severe depression. Yep. We get uh, physical injuries to a body, both internal and external, bleeding, swelling, bruising, and spasms of incontinence resulting from McMahon's forceful use of his fists, adult toys, and objects unsafe for vaginal insertion or penetration. For instance, Ms. Grant texted McMahon that she was injured during the latest sexual encounter on August 28, 2020, as a result of McMahon's insistence in penetrating Ms. Grant with an extra-large sex toy, including a vibrating wand that caused her to panic and briefly get stuck. Now... Uh, this is the bit where I, I know you're not looking forward to this, but we have to bring this up because he's an old friend of yours. I know you don't have any direct knowledge of the situation. John Laurinaitis then gets involved for some threesomes at McMahon's, at McMahon's behest. Excuse me. On or about December 29, 2020, a threesome was arranged between McMahon, Laurinaitis and Ms. Grant at McMahon's condo. Shortly after meeting Laurinaitis, Ms. Grant asked him if she was the first woman whom McMahon had introduced to him in such a setting. Laurinaitis failed to respond and shot a look directly at McMahon who quickly intervened by kissing Miss Grant and initiating the sexual encounter amongst the three of them. Uh, I'll talk a tiny bit more about Johnny 
then Vince starts farming Grant out to Johnny Ace, negotiating regular times. Grant had to service Laurinaitis on John's behalf, mostly revolving around Grant going to Johnny's room as his quote-unquote breakfast. Uh, a euphemistic term there. Grant is then transferred to talent relations, working directly under Johnny. Uh, sadly, quite literally, um, in in a sense as well. Grant doesn't want any of this, especially McMahon forcing Grant to apprise him of all encounters with Johnny. On numerous occasions, this is a quote now, Miss Grant was directed to visit Laurinaitis at his hotel room before work to serve himself uh, herself to him as his breakfast, quote-unquote. These devastating experiences made Grant feel as though she were being pimped out as an object for sexual gratification for her new boss. There's more about John for now, but immediately uh, we were talking off-air, and John has always been interested in the ladies, we can say that much. Yeah, Johnny was... Uh, 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 much more uh, uh, outgoing than I was. <laughs> you know, just put it that way. Uh, he, you know, and he's not the only one. Uh, again, on the when you're on the road uh, for 350 plus days per year, uh, you know, they, there's a lot of guys that do that in a lot of different ways: drinking, but most just almost universally, uh, drugs nearly universally. And uh, you know the, the the fans, you know the the, the rats, the, the groupies, whatever term you want to use. Um, there was an awful lot of that going on back then. And again, it wasn't just Johnny. I mean, this was like a ubiquitous thing in the industry. And uh, you know, it's it, again. I, I, there's I'm, I'm trying to parse my words carefully because I don't want to put like more on this than it should be, but. Uh, please understand for everybody out there, I am not proponing this. I'm describing it. Uh, you would walk into some of these places. I remember the first time we were in Germany and, you know, bringing the tour bus into town and, you know, we're at the hotel and have to get out. It literally looked like a scene out of uh, Help, you know, the Beatles. I mean, there were ah, screaming people and uh, just going nuts. And you could walk into that hotel lobby, look around, and see what was going on. And they would follow you right to the elevator, go straight up. Uh, and you could, an hour later, walk back down and go, oh. and another one. I, I can tell you on my children, I never did that. Uh, I was always afraid of death of the AIDS or God knows what else. But the, uh, the, the this was quite uh, pervasive through the industry. I mean, it was just part of that day. And, uh, you know, so uh, again, like trying to fl uh, flip back and forth on these and, you know, one side of the fence to the other to equally propone uh, the, the positives and the negatives. Johnny never had difficulty picking women up. Um, he had a gift of gab. He was a intelligent guy, came from corporate America, worked for Honeywell before he got into a, a professional wrestling. And, uh, you know, buried himself in a way that he knew how to do that. He was very well uh, adept at doing that. So, you know, the the idea that he would do this with a young woman, I, I, I don't know if I could say, I'll be, I'll be very careful with that. It, it would seem strange to me that Johnny would have to resort to that. 
because he, again, had no trouble. I mean, you know, even like in his public life, you know, you can see they're you know, married, what, the, uh, into the Bell family. Uh, you know, it's all of it. I, I'm finding it hard to find the right words, not just to be careful, not to like make any allegation either way. Or, uh, you know, again, like you said, everything is, this is all alleged at this point. But it, it is so far over the rail of normalcy. Uh, uh, any kind of, you know, like, if he even say, like, well, my boss told me, you know, and, and or, you know, he was trying to, like, get himself any good with Vince or whatever else. You know that that's to me in the same vein as like the the guards at the uh, at the you know the uh, death camps saying, "Well, you know, I was ordered to do it." You know, I mean it's, that didn't hold water back then either. Uh, it's you know I my I, I guess in a summation of this, like my hope is like when you're reading those things, uh, the, some of that stuff was new to me, and, and I hadn't like I said I hadn't had a chance to dig into it, and I. I think like most human beings that you try to put yourself in that position and wonder like what must have been going through this poor young lady's head. And you know, that, you know, just this, these awful things. And then wondering does, like I said a second ago, that, well, this is what you have to do to get a job at a place this big and you know, all of that kind of stuff. It, it is, it's, it's bordering on evil to me. I mean, to, to have that kind of power over somebody, but then to execute that power mm -hmm. And, you know, just to show uh, your, your strength, uh, you know, like uh, there, you know, there's the, again, won't say the name. Uh, this is back in 95 when somebody was summarily fired and left off uh, right after, you know, starting his family and then brought back after like a five, six week period and being told, now you know what kind of power I really have. And I thought, okay, well, to have power is one thing. To use it, though, is another, right? They, they, to lord over somebody. And and I've said this about Vince a million times. Uh, and, and I don't think it's a judgmental thing. It's just, again, reflecting and, 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 and you know, commenting on what I saw. What do you get this man for, for Christmas? I mean, he's got anything he wants to, you know, times a billion or nine. Uh, I genuinely think like the whole ass kissing thing that was just an exhibition of sheer raw authority, right? You're going to do it, James, because I'm your boss. And unless you don't want fired from this job, uh, get down on your knees and kiss my hiney back there. It is, uh, it was so strange. Even then seeing that, that was like so far over the pale to me, but this and lording over, this is somebody's daughter, you know, this is somebody's sister, you know, and, you know, when you hear these stories of people like, you know, losing their minds and stuff and going out and doing heinous things, you know, I, I would dare say this probably would like instigate somebody to, to thinking that way, you know, if you did this to their daughter or, or their sister or their wife or whatever, uh, again, human beings are human beings and you treat them respectfully, uh, now, if somebody you know does something to you, by all means, send the receipt back. This ain't that. You know, the allegations that are being made here are, you know, really, really uh, of the worst kind when it comes to to like sexual uh, uh, lording over, uh, harassment, uh, violence. It's uh, 
you'd think by the year 2024, especially in light of the, you know, the long shadow of, of the Me Too movement, that people would have a better, you know, that you'd think before you'd act. Hey, you know, it's, you know Vince McMahon, he's a, he's a father, right? He's a grandfather. Uh, that Would he want, if there's, you know, would he be having Bill Gates doing this to, or Elon Musk or some other billionaire doing this to his kids or grandkids? And you know the answer would be no. So, uh, again, these are, you know, assuming that the allegations are true, uh, it's, uh, if true, I hope this young girl gets everything she's looking for in the lawsuit. Uh, she deserves it. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you one question, and then I'm going to detail the worst of the allegations, but I won't get you to respond to them if you don't want to, because obviously you weren't there, and sort of what can you add to it in that sense? Um, does the wrestling business, or I won't say the wrestling business, does having just women on tap all the time, and I'm using, I'm thinking of examples in ECW occasions, you know, I've heard quite a lot of stories at the Travel Lodge and stuff. Does that warp your sexuality over time? It could. It certainly could, right? I mean, you're, again, this is a, this bubble we're existing in, excuse me, called WWE, ECW, WCW, NW, whatever the bubble is, we're here. And, you know, those people that are the fans coming to the hotel, uh, you know, there's, I'm sure some of it's just to see the stars and, the, you know, to see the people they want to see. Uh, but, you know, I would dare say that if you're growing up in, in an elevator in a hotel, uh, that doesn't mean that you've given permission, at least in my thinking. But, uh, you know, it's I, like when Mike Tyson, when that happened, the rape allegation of Mike Tyson, what, 20, 30 years ago, uh, the, the woman that was the chauffeur said that this girl was willingly going along and doing this stuff, but she wasn't allowed to testify. And it was, seemed strange to me. Uh, you, you know, if you're going up to somebody's hotel room at midnight or 1 a.m., uh, I, I, you know, although you can't just say, well, it's going to be, you know, it's just a given or it's just understood, but <laughs> to most people wouldn't be understood. Like, Hey, we're not going to play patty cakes. Right. Or we're not going to go up there and play a game of chess. Uh, no, but, but similarly, one thing that you expect to happen can turn into something that you don't expect to happen in, in that sure. instance as well. Yeah. You know, like with some of those allegations you know, that, that are in the, in the court documents, you know, you look at that and you think it's, uh, you know, to make those kind of comments to people, uh, again, if they were said, uh, it's it's so cringeworthy. You know, like that when you hear it, you're like, oh, my God, that somebody actually said that to somebody else. Um, but again, like, I, I, see, I'm, I'm, I keep, I'm trying to, like, jump back and forth because my brain is, first of all, it's impossible for me to separate from the 40-year career I've had and, and, and seeing inside that industry. But I, but also then as the as somebody who's taught this, you know, the subject of history and politics and constitution, uh, you're going back, but the, a lot of that stuff is is uh, assumed. Like the person is going to understand, like the ignorance of the law doesn't give you an excuse, right? You can't say, well, I didn't know I was, I was supposed to stop the stop sign. Uh but still, these are like basic, I think, bedrock, 
you know, fundamental principles like that, that you wouldn't need to have a constitutional law uh, course uh, or professor standing there to tell you uh, to explain it to you. Um, it, it's uh, in, but again, now as they put my wrestling hat back on, you can easily see how guys in that bubble. Uh, a one of the bragging in the locker room tomorrow, right? Hey, did you guys see the girl I was with or the lady I was with? Um, and you know, it's 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 a lot of it is over the top bravado, but it's also a lot of that, uh, you know, like if you can prove it, right? Like, hey, you know, six o'clock in the morning, you're coming off the elevator with the girl you went up with last night, then that becomes its own story for the day in the locker room, and uh. And the, just the sense of protection. Uh, I had seen, again, name unimportant, but I had seen, you know, we were making damn good money in wrestling even back then. Not not to compare it to today, but good money. And I saw people going into shopping malls and certainly well within their, their ability to buy these shoes or these pants or whatever. And they would walk up and talk to the, the girl at the counter and then say, well, you know, I, I think I should get 50% off on these. Don't you? You know, and, and of course the girl, it's something, not all the time, they're sure, you know, they give it to you. And I thought to myself, you, you're, you're making this much money and you're going to go and you're going to squabble over 50% on, on a pair of tennis shoes or a pair of uh, jeans or something. It, it, and it wasn't a question they could, that they couldn't afford it. It was a question of they had the power to do it because of the R of the business. And, you know, I think that's going to be one of the things that I think as this thing proceeds to throw out for a jury, how, how much of that will they be able to understand? You know, like, I don't mean understand, like on, on the, on just like the, what I, the, the words I just said, understanding that culture, you know, there's a, there's a group of people out there that do this kind of stuff. And this is quote unquote normal in their world. And, you know, it's just, I, I'd love to be a fly on the jury, uh, mm. you know, on the, uh, on the jury uh, foreman's wall, the, the jury room in the back where they deliberate. I'd love to hear the comments that get thrown around back there when deciding this, because it's going to be uh, quite interesting. Now, a lot of this beforehand, I'm sure a prosecutor would argue, you know, it's a gray area. She initiated or she consented or whatever. The following are not. These are these are rape ac accusations. This is sexual assault accusations. Uh, and as I say, you don't have to react to them or anything because, as I say, neither of us were there. What else can we sort of add to it? Uh, aside from, I know, in, especially in John's case, hope it's not true. Threesome yeah. rape allegation. McMahon and Laurenitis ignored her pleas and brought her into Laurenitis' office, forcibly touching and undressing her before forcing her to engage in a threesome on a conference table. Miss Grant pleaded no, 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 and please stop. McMahon responded with no means yes. Miss Grant again told them to stop. Instead, McMahon licked his fingers and penetrated Miss Grant and said, take it, bitch, with each taking turns restraining her for the other. Laurenitis then joined by forcibly showing his tongue, then pe uh, shoving him, sorry, uh, his tongue, then penis into Miss Grant's mouth. Another... Johnny Ace rape accusation. During a June 15, 2021 encounter with McMahon and Laurenitis in the latter's office, Laurenitis shoved his tongue in Miss Grant's mouth after she pleaded to stop the whole encounter, then unzipped his pants and shoved his penis into plaintiff's mouth. 
McMahon rape allegation. On June 23rd, 2021, around 11.42am, Mr. McMahon directed Ms. Grant in the middle of a workday to meet him on a lower floor. When Ms. Grant arrived, McMahon led her inside his private locker room, locked the door, and forced himself on her over a massage table. Later that day, $15,000 in gift cards into Bloomingdale's were purchased at McMahon's direction and delivered by McMahon's personal assistant to Ms. Grant in her office. And after this... Johnny's wife on multiple other occasions while Ms. Grant worked under Laurenitis, including after McMahon's promise that one-on-one encounters would end because uh, text messages say that John's a sloppy drunk and who knows what he's going to reveal to somebody, despite the fact that Vince is sharing photos and videos with, in his own words, thousands of people. Um, uh, even after uh, John's wife moved across the country to join Laurenitis, he would call Ms. Grant to his office, lock the door, unzip his pants, and instruct Ms. Grant to perform oral sex. So... Having heard all that, those are the most serious of the serious allegations made in this uh, in this uh, legal document. We're going to move to the next portion, WWE Superstar. Described as a former UFC heavyweight champion whom Vince was trying to re-sign. Who the bloody hell could that be? <laughs> Funnily enough, someone actually said that Cain Velasquez actually is also a former heavyweight champion and did one match for the WWE, but it's Brock Lesnar. Everyone right. is absolutely sure it's Brock Lesnar here. I'm not telling tales out of school on that one. So, on or about July 12th, 2021, McMahon directed Ms. Grant to create personalized sexual content for WWE Superstar. McMahon shared the photos with WWE Superstar and then informed Ms. Grant that he likes what he sees prior to a business dinner. With McMahon, WWE Superstar made a brief visit to Ms. Grant's building. However, WWE Superstar did not return to the building for a sexual encounter because he was too intoxicated and taken back to the plane. Uh, further on, why don't I just add uh, the sort? I, I can't find where I've written it in the script. It is somewhere that um, Brock Lesnar, WWE superstar, eventually gets uh, Ms. Grant's number and then demands that she send a video of her urinating to him. So interesting uh the, oh sorry there is one more thing uh, uh miss grant was used as a bargaining chip even if in joking sense or maybe not to brock lesnar to resign in 2021 yeah. well based on everything else I, I i would doubt that that was made like as a you know, in jest uh every, as, as i'm sitting here listening to read through that and some of it i had read and some of it i hadn't seen uh the word that kept popping up in my head was repugnant you know that you know just you have the world at your fingertips, right? I mean, if you know, I'm sure there's uh, you know there'd be a lot of women out there that would love to meet Vince McMahon, right? Uh, or Johnny Ace, or Brock Lesnar, or anybody uh, uh, from that world the, to do this uh, I, again. I, I, I sound like I'm repeating myself, but to, to, to use that as a weapon over an ambitious young girl that, that is eager to get into the industry and needs the work and, and that kind of thing. That, that is the worst abuse of power to me because, you know, you, it's not like you're just playing with like a, a rubber ball and, and bouncing it back. That's an inanimate object. This is a human being. And, you know, th that's the kind of stuff that if you know anything about psychology that lifetimes, you know, that's why I'm so so strongly 
uh, vehemently uh, against grooming of children and stuff and like this attempt to normalize this in some way. Uh, you do untold damage to that person. And oftentimes that will lead to things like suicides or suicidal tendencies and attempts. Uh, I, I don't know how somebody could live with themselves in doing that. You know, if, if somebody would go out and harm themselves over something that I had said or did to them, that would destroy me. I, I don't know how you could, could live with that. But again, I guess, you know, I, I ain't never been a billionaire before. So I guess like living up in that, you know, that that Mount Olympus, you know, that, that you can do these things and get away with it, I guess, or think you can. Uh, there was one thing that popped in my head, like sort of like a, a like still like a procedural type of thing. The fifteen thousand dollars in gift cards. I would be very curious to see where that bill went. Hmm. Did that bill go to the WWE or did that go to Vince McMahon's private uh, private account? Again, it's true. Uh, just those types of things. It's uh, you know, you, you, I guess another thing that keeps popping in my head is the hubris of this, right? Like, if I'm accurate in saying about living in that world and I can do it because I can't. I'm, I'm I'm this powerful, uh, and, and we know he has that that mindset because of the ass kissing stuff and everything else. Uh, to to just be so arrogant to think that well I can do whatever I want and talk to this woman in this way and you know bandy her about like she's an object that I can pass around or whatever. Uh, repugnant. The hubris it exhibits is is galling, uh, and it's. I, I, I'm going to be really curious to watch this play out because there's there's this part of my brain thinking to myself that as intelligent of a businessman as Vince is, that it would seem like so out of character to <laughs> to be this errant, right? To just like this, you know, throw these comments around and stuff, and then be that well-known inside the in, inside that company. Uh, it, it would certainly, if so, he, he'll have a lot of time to think about it, I guess, down the road as to, uh, you know, the things that that maybe you should have second-guessed. Like I always tell my kids, you know, every stupid thing I've done in my life, and there's been plenty, there was that moment right before I did it where my brain said, ah, this ain't a good idea. Yeah, and then like two seconds later, oh, why the hell did I do that? And you know, it's it's like that devil and an angel on your shoulder, right? Which one you're going to listen to? Uh, it's it's like you said before we came on the air. Uh, you know, this is like a a level of like what uh, sociopathic type thinking, right? That like it's okay because I'm who I am, and. She knows what I mean. I, I'm not really being, it's just like, this is how we foreplay or whatever. And, uh, you know, boy, I think if the world hasn't, as if it didn't already know, but if the world hasn't picked up on, on you know, the, no means no. And, uh, you know, all these little idioms that we've, that we've heard and seen in this tectonic shift because of the Me Too movement. And this stuff having occurred after that, you know, it's that the, the put a you know an exponent factor in afterwards for the hubris, right? I mean, that it's just like so over the top. It's almost like, hey, you know, world, this is what I'm going to say to that. And uh, I just think, man, that is, you know, the, the, the people who have power and authority 
uh, statesmen wield it in a way that they can attract people to them. Uh, sociopaths wield it in a way that they, like a hammer to pound somebody with and, and have no remorse for it. Um, and again, if through my, my heart goes out to this young woman and anybody else that's in that kind of situation, because and I remember like with the Harvey Weinstein thing, there was the, you know, the, uh, the one actress, um, uh, uh, Judd, uh, Naomi Judd. And you know, she claimed that she was raped and went back and they made six more movies with them. And people say, well, see, we'll see, you know, you me personally, I wouldn't go back. I, I mean, if, if, if I was so offended by that, I wouldn't go back. But that doesn't mean that somebody who, my, my life stream was never to be a movie star. If it were, then, you know, who knows what, what pieces you'd move around or where that goalpost would shift for you. But they might not even quite realise what's happened to them at the time. I mean, a lot of these cases are where they only sort of fully understand the picture years after yeah. the fact. They've been gaslighted or they're just broken over a period of weeks, months, years that they just don't realise what's happening to them or the full effect of it. Uh, and also oh. people, I'm sure some people I've seen out there, well, you know, if it was me, I wouldn't have done that. It's like, listen, pretty much anybody out there can be broken. Yeah. 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 I mean Stockholm syndrome now is a well known phrase, but you know, fifty years ago it was brand new, pretty much, or forty yeah. years ago. But the but the fact is that anyone can be broken and it's almost like domestic violence. It's like and you see all these instances why you all you know, people outside go, Well, why don't you just leave the guy? And there's so many apart from just emotionally broken, uh, isolated made to feel unworthy, made to feel yeah. like you can't leave for one reason. I or another. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 you know, it, that there are people that live their lives that way on both sides of the fence. So, you know, they, you know, in the, like I said, about the, the thing that I was watching a, a week ago or so where the woman said, I just assumed this is how it operates at this level. You know, there's so few people that get to this level that this is what this club does. This is what that, this fraternity does. And if I want to partake in that, and, and it really is, excuse me, grooming, right? You're, you're getting these people to think, you know, like in Naomi Judd's case, well, her life's ambition was to be an actress, an actor. And, you know, she's now with quite arguably the most powerful movie-making company on the planet, or one of them for sure. And you could easily tell how a young woman would say, well, this is, I guess, you know, this is the, the, the fee you have to pay to get into that club. Or, or you could I, even say, well, listen, this one horrible thing, I'm not going to let ruin my career. Right. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll do anything I can to get, to get there. And, uh, you know, for people out there that say, you know, I would never do that. Or, you know, why didn't they just this or that? Uh, you know, what's an old saying? Until you've walked a mile on somebody's moccasins, you know, like, uh, you know, it, it, the, this, the, the lore of fame. And, you know, I've talked often with, with you about it in other places. Uh, the, uh, the ability to go into a ring and get people to jeer or cheer or cry or fangs out, that's a powerful opiate. And uh, and I said that somebody who had had a, had a uh, physical dependency on OxyContin, that is far more powerful than OxyContin because it's you know it's it's a life stream that you're now to the point where you can you know display that and and do those things that you've seen the greats before you do. 
Uh, and that is an incredibly powerful opiate. And so, you know, to sit there and say, well, I'll just walk away from it. I, would, I wouldn't do this or do that. Uh, well, well, I imagine, yeah. tell me if I'm wrong, but you, the difference with, because uh, you, you know, you've been very open, you said you were hooked on Oxycontin for a while, after a while, you take it to keep you on a level, whereas, you know, yeah. the, the adulation from the crowd, it gives you self-worth. Instant. Yeah. Yeah, it's like plugging right into a 220 line. So, yeah, and, and once you've tasted that, it's hard to sit there and say, okay, well, now I'm just going to go be a civilian or I, I would just walk away because I wouldn't stoop to that level. Um, you know, it's uh, it, until you've crossed that bridge, until you've had the opportunity or you've been put into that position, you really can't say. And, you know, I, you know, people talk about uh, who was the woman the other night on the Grammy Awards that said that, you know, she got her Grammy, but it won't bring her kids back that she had had aborted. Uh, there is a price to pay and you could, you know, here and now it's comfortable. It's convenient. It's going to keep my career going right now. That's great. But then, you know, we human beings have things called consciousness. And at some point down the road, you know, you could describe it as whatever you want to describe it as, but it, sooner or later, if you're being real, then there's a, there's a price to pay for that. It's going to, you know, stamp itself on your psyche. And, you know, it, like again, with anybody in these types of positions, in this case, we're talking about the Vincent and, and this young woman, uh, but Naomi Judd, anybody in these types of positions, uh, there is a scar that's left, you know, and, and you can ignore that scar for a while or whatever else, but, you know, at least in my experience, things like that have a tendency of, of popping back up. And, you know, if it was just so easy to say, okay, I'm going to hit the erase button and forget all about that and move on, uh, that's not the way human psyche works. Uh, to, to knowingly do that to somebody else and the, to leave that kind of a scar as a display of your power or your authority or, your, you know, getting off your fantasies or whatever is, uh, is so disgusting to me, so repugnant. That uh, and, and I, and I you know, they, they're saying like on the, on the you know, uh, I don't know the exact definition, but it seems to me that would be very close to sociopathic or psychopathic that you know you uh, uh, that you would do that and not care what the impact is on the other person. And uh, what a shame! I mean, it's just it's it's horrendous, uh, you know, on on the face of it. Uh, and again, just going to be very interested to see how this plays out and where it goes, uh, able to be a play to settle it before it gets into the, the smarmy stuff. If so, uh, considering the resources that Vince has, it's not like me or you that, hey, this is going to be a $10 million legal bill and I ain't got 10 million bucks laying around. Vince has the wherewithal to fight it. So it's going to be very interesting to see, like, if this goes to a plea deal, then you know, each of us can make what we want of that, but I certainly have a certain opinion on that, mm. you know, that, that wouldn't be good to the, uh, to the accused. <laughs> I am going to wrap up this now uh, very quickly, and then we're going to move on to, with whatever time we've got left, we're going to do a few more bits of news elsewhere from the wrestling world. But honestly, we could go so much more in depth to this. I mean, I've only read like a quarter of what I've written down. Uh, there was a final allegation of sexual assault after the NDA was signed. Uh, Ms. Grant went to Vince's condo and he forced himself upon her, allegedly, and wouldn't let her leave the condo until a deed was done. 
the other thing is the NW, uh, N, NW, NDA, non-disclosure agreement, has been argued that it's unenforceable. One, that it's overly broad. Two, that Vince McMahon hasn't actually paid the three million. And three, you can't legally use an NDA to cover up a crime. Uh, Legal Services Board, here's a quote, where individuals have evidence of criminal activity such as fraud, they can have confidence that being asked to sign an NDA to prevent their disclosure is unlawful. So even if she got all the money, I think by the letter of the law, an NDA is a joke in that sense. Uh, the uh, lawsuit also alleges that WWE employees, executives, and board members were aware of McMahon's exploits involving plaintiff. Some were told, some were shown exploitative pictures, some witnessed unusual and or overtly sexual behaviours by McMahon and or Laurinaitis, and others could not help but hear what was going on through the walls of WWE headquarters because apparently the walls are very, very thin and people talk. So, having said that, we're going to move on to the rest of the news. And I'm sorry to say, I actually broke this news to you just before we went on air. Harold Hoag, or Hoag, I've seen it spelled two different ways. What was his surname? Do you know? I thought Ho- I'd always thought Hoag. Yeah, I, I, I've, spe- I've seen it spelled and pronounced two different ways, so do bear with me. AKA Ice Train and M.I. Smooth of WCW passed away at the age of 56 after a major heart attack. Memories of Ice Train, and he was a power plant trainee that was brought up very quickly in 1993, given an initial push in and out for a few different spells, and WCW spent a lot of time in Germany as well. But memories of uh, Ice Train Harold. Yeah, I I didn't know him very well, uh, but he was one of those like really outgoing personalities, always smiling in the back. Uh, you know, and, and you know, his size and everything, you know, would catch your attention. Uh, the he was like one of those guys in the dressing room that, like, you know, would bring the it could be pouring down rain, blowing snow, you, you don't feel well, whatever. But uh, somebody like him would walk into the dressing room and say something, do something, whatever, but always had that smile on his face, and it just sort of like kept. There's times when you're on the road that you get really, the road gets really long, and guys like him seem to be able to bring that up a bit, and which has always seemed welcome. Uh, as far as his work goes, uh, he seemed uh, like he, he 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 like a work in progress. Like I, I thought, just from my own two cents, as far as actual wrestling and, and the product in the ring, uh, I think he was put forward and pushed out there a little bit earlier than he should have been because of his look, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you, you get out there and there's, a, you're in front of what, 10, 8, 10, 12,000 people. And suddenly it's not like being in the power plant, right? It's not like being in a gym. Now you've got people that are responding and you've got all these eye be- eyeballs laser beaming you. And it's very, very easy to get lost in that and uh, get lost in the actual match and not know what to do forward, uh, moving forward in the match. And just, I, I thought they brought him along a little bit too quickly, but I had not heard that. I've been in the last couple of days preparing to come on the road because we have a pretty busy weekend and uh, had my son for a couple of days and was spending time with him. So I was really out of the loop and, and not reading any news of any sort. So what surprises me with that is like you said that you broke it to me uh, right before we came on air is that typically your phone will ring or you'll get a whole bunch of texts from you hear about uh, 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 ice train or whatever. And I, I got none of that. So uh, yeah, uh, you know, condolences to his family. Uh, and, and I'm sure they knew him far better than we did. 
the way that we knew him, uh, you know, that outgoing, I, I can just, as I can see in my mind's eye, that big old smile on the back and uh, just a really easy guy to get along with, which in that business is not sometimes the case. So, uh, you know, really saddened to hear that uh, I, for anybody, but, you know, for his fans and his friends and his family, uh, my deepest condolences because he, he seemed like a hell of a guy. One thing about Ice Train that I found very fascinating is one of the few people who were in the wrestling business who just quit. 2001, yeah. he did one match many years later, but then he just quit. Do you know why he just never got back into it or WWF weren't interested or whatever? No, I, but I, I can relate a story from another guy, Al Perez. Um, Al was one of those guys that my, you know, he had the build, he had that Latino look, uh, very good looking guy, very athletic. Uh, he, to us, he was like a, maybe like a year or two ahead of me. And to us younger guys, he seemed like the anointed one, like he's going to be the next big star. And two, two or three years ago at WrestleCade, uh, he and I were sitting, I don't know, about 10, 15 yards apart from each other, he on the other side of the aisle. And without my glasses, we you know, I kept looking down and seeing this guy looking at me and, and we're looking back and forth throughout the night. And finally he gets up and comes walking over and he got about halfway to me. And I thought, oh crap, it's Al Perez. I hadn't seen Al in years. So we got up and we wanted to talk. It still looks great. Uh, and, and as we're talking, I said, whatever happened to you? I said, like, you know, we all thought you were going to be the, you know, like the next big thing in wrestling. Boom, he just disappeared. And he said that he'd given himself a five-year plan when he got in. And uh, when that five-year, fifth year came, he had to have a, you know, a, a real discussion with himself and he's going to continue down. And he, you know, he didn't like some of the things he'd seen in the business, but he also didn't know that there was a guarantee that were coming. Cause back then their contracts weren't guaranteed. And he stuck to what he had told himself coming. I'm going to give it five years. And after that, he moved on and he's still very successful in the things he's done. A few businesses he started and things still looks great. And, you know, there's a, uh, you know, it's like one of those things you like look at from like in, in different ways and different times and just have different takes on. Uh, a there's a, a there's a, a level of respect that you come in with that kind of a plan and be that disciplined to stick to it and move on. But then there's also the side that you know, like, like I tell my own son, uh, you know, you're not no one's ever sure what the next door is going to be, and and so you know, like my thing always was if you get out now. What if that next door was the, the you know the door into the you know into the top spot? So, uh, but you know, he, it's not like he went off and had a failure of life. He's been very successful, and again, like a level of respect that he was able to be that disciplined and come in and say that and move on. So, uh, you know, but as far as uh, Ice Train goes, I I don't know, uh, and I wouldn't even in my head familiar with you with what you just said until you said it and i was like yeah he did just sort of disappear you know so i'm wondering if it was something more like al perez or uh i could also see you know when you come into this business you have a certain vision of what it's going to be and you start to realize like it's a little bit different than that and there's a lot more shit than you expect uh you know who knows i don't know if, if anybody what did Ernest know 
Of I don't know. I, I think he sort of explained it as far as he just didn't think he would get a fair shake in WWF and didn't want to deal with the politics. And I imagine he didn't want to work for far less money on the indies or wherever. So I suspect that's the reason. Just because you mentioned Al Perez, right? We've talked about him briefly on the podcast before. But mm-hmm. I've heard a couple of stories that Al had some issue with either Ric Flair or someone else like that that stalled his rise. Does that sound familiar to you? Because apparently he actually played the Black Scorpion once in a match. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me. No, I mean that's you know that, I think that's what I've been saying for years was that there was. And by the way, it's you know not that I you know, play Barry O for a second, pat myself mm-hmm. on the back. Uh, it, it's funny as time goes say, on. Barry, Barry H, not Barry O. Oh yeah, Barry H, Barry H, you're right, Horowitz, right? Yeah. Uh, but, Barry, the reason that name most pops in my head because he had married a girl, strangely enough, two towns over from me. And I had no idea he was even, and this was like after he had been on WWE. Anyway, uh, uh, you know, with, uh, without that, that was, I, how many years ago was I talking about this? You know, the, the thumb that was being put on, on our heads, uh, you know, and the politics that are still in the business to some degree. Um, you know, it's just like that. Uh, you know, that, that crypt keeper on you know the old the old uh, what was that show called? Uh, uh, Tales from the Crypt, right? The, that 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 skeletal body just keeps popping up and is still there. It's you know the vestiges of that. It wouldn't surprise me in the least because the way that that generation was, uh, like you said, the names that you said, they saw a guy like him as good looking as he was, as athletic as he was, as well built as he was. Uh, he had the gift of gab. He had all the tools, right? That would be the guy that you would, you know, say, hey, throw every roadblock in front of you could, because uh, it was pretty clear that you know he, like I said, that it was just sort of generally assumed that in the locker rooms that he was going to be, you know, a major, major star. So yeah, I, I, I can't say I'd ever heard that, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least because that again was the way that generation operated. Yeah, there's. Um... A couple more things that maybe he fell afoul of certain people he shouldn't fall afoul with, and maybe a hothead is rumors that have come out over the years. But we, I heard a lot of those, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we're gonna move on now. We're not gonna talk about WWE and Netflix because that'll just take too long to get through, and I'm sure it's been done to death already. Uh, same with The Rock joining the TKO board. We're gonna move on to Dark Side of the Ring season five, the subjects have been announced, and there is either 9 or 10. I've got 10, I think. So I'm going to read them out to you, and then I'm going to pick up one or two that I'd like you to get to talk about. Chris Adams is one of the big ones, because they've actually got the guy interviewed who killed him. Wow. So uh, he's actually doing a sit-down talk interview about what sort of led to uh, their scuffle and death and whatever. Uh, Next, Sensational Sherry, Terry Gordy, Black Saturday, Chris Cult, which is an interesting one because not too many people have heard about him. The Sandman, which I don't know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know quite what that's going to be unless it's that fight at Lou Albano's deal or something. I don't know. Uh, Earthquake, which I don't know how that's going to ha- handle it either way. Harley Race, uh, this has been wow. suggested that this might be about the car crash that killed his pregnant wife and nearly severed his leg back in the 60s, I imagine. And the last two uh, rounding it out is Brutus Beefcake. So probably the parasailing accident. And Buff Bagwell. Um, I'm going to ask you about Chris Adams first. 
I don't know how much time you spent around Chris. He was in WCW for brief yeah, periods yeah. of time. Uh, yeah, he was, he was in UWF when I went down. I'm sorry, yeah, uh, he was in the UWF as, as well, of course. Yeah, so uh, stories about Chris and why he others otherwise might be in Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah, he, well, we use the phrase hothead, right? He he was he had this zero to six hundred temper that would blow uh, quite often. I at the time I wasn't aware of just how deeply into drugs he had gotten. Uh, but, you know, and I can't say that I ever even saw him using drugs, but maybe I did. If I did, it was one of those things where it was so ubiquitous, he didn't even pay attention to it because everybody was doing that. Uh, we were in a car one time, uh, we being Davey Haskins was driving, my first partner, uh, Ron Simmons, uh, who, you know, anybody that knows Ron, just loves Ron. Ron's just a, just a good dude. Uh, you know, we, the UWF was a driving territory, some, sometimes 10,000 miles a week. And, you know, framed into this car, we all have shit tons of bags because we're on the road forever. And, you know, Ron's got the front seat because he's the biggest of all of us. And, you know, we all have bags behind us on our laps. Ron's got bags under his legs. And, and we've, we're driving to uh, northern uh, Alabama or Louisiana, northern Louisiana, uh, Jackson. Or Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi. And it's from where we were the night before, I think Baton Rouge. It's a long drive, seven, eight, nine hours. It's a good long drive. And we're about a half hour into the ride. And, and Chris, he's just angry because we're all crammed in this car. And he's, he's sitting behind Ron and he hits the back of the chair. And Ron, you know, being Ron, goes, hey, calm down, Chris. None of us are comfortable. Like, you've got a long drive ahead of us. And this goes on. I, you know, several more times. And finally, Ron draws a line in the sand and says, you hit the back of that chair one more time, we're going to pull this car over. And and I'm sitting there watching Chris, and like it was almost like he did it just to see if he was serious, right? And again, Ron and Dave, he goes, pull this car over. <laughs> and he got out. He wouldn't fight Ron, but he Ron threw all of his stuff out on the side of the road, and we drove away. That was the last I ever saw Chris Adams. Uh, he never made the building that night, and I never saw him again after that. And it wasn't immediately after, but some, you know, within the, the next year, year and a half, I guess. Uh, what, what year did he die? Was it around 2000? I don't have that information, but it was around 2000. Okay, so yeah, it would have been some time later. But when I remember hearing it and thinking to myself, like, it, you know, the, the circumstances surrounding it, uh, it didn't shock me. Because, you know, you know, let's face it, Ron's a big guy, very easy going guy, but certainly not somebody wanted to keep like poking, poking, poking to test. And, uh, you know, and, and then like then the, the lurid details of all the drug use and everything that started coming out. Uh, you know, Chris had a, uh, like a lot of the other great English wrestlers, right? Had the, uh, uh, had a certain pedigree to him. You know, just because of the accent and the, the, the style that he had learned over there and brought to America with him, uh, you know, he, he had far preceded a lot of the other guys, you know, the uh, uh, Finleys and a lot of those guys that had come over later uh, and, and took it to a different level. But Chris was one of the first that I remember coming and, and you know, being so overtly British and, you know, that had a... Uh, had an effect, and, and you know, let's face it, a good-looking guy, 
but when he turned into the heel role, it was almost like that was like the real him. You know, you started seeing this wasn't just the character he was playing out in front of the cameras. It was uh, almost in a sense like how Brian Pillman did the loose cannon thing, right? Like it's always on, always in character. Uh, but, you know, and, uh, you know, I always thought it was a shame because Chris, you know, was a, a darn good worker in the ring. And he, it, even at that time, before, like I said, years before I even heard anything about all the drug use, it seemed to me that he was so self-destructive. Like he would do these things that would get himself in trouble, knock down the card, suspended for a month, you know, th these types of things. It was just this constant tripping himself up, tripping up his own career. And, uh, but I do remember like the one thing, like, I guess on a positive note, uh, when I first met him, he was one of the guys that Bill Watts had sent to Pittsburgh uh, to run the uh, shows that Dominic had run, where we ultimately had met uh, uh, Eddie Gilbert and, and Terry Tan and all the guys. Uh, Chris was on that loop and he had always had an instant camera with him. And he was always taking pictures of the buildings and the dressing rooms. And I, I remember thinking to myself, like, we're in the dressing rooms every night. We're in buildings every night. What's, and he said, because now this is what we remember. So he has, like, the visual. And I look back now and I'm thinking to myself, boy, I wish maybe I had the, not necessarily every taking picture of every single building and everything. But, you know, it's all now just a blur to memory because you didn't take time to, you know, to uh, catalog any of that. So, uh, but I, he was the first and I think the only person I ever saw do that. And I'm sure somewhere there's probably a lot of, you know, interesting and probably a lot of dull pictures laying around somewhere. <laughs> I'd love to see some of those. Not all of them, yeah. but uh, some of them. Um, so uh, just to clarify, he was 46 years old. He uh, was killed in October 7th, 2001. It was just a year out there. He was already indicted on a manslaughter charge when him and his girlfriend were both found unconscious after an overdose. And then... Uh, he was shot in the chest fatally while awaiting trial during a drunken ball when a friend, William Brent Parnell, I've got my glasses on the screens far away, at his home in uh, Waxahachie, Texas. And even Steve Austin, who Chris Adams was his mentor and trainer, said, I'm sorry he got killed, but the guy did not have good karma. So that pretty much uh, goes to everything you said there. Now, of the other nine names I mentioned, we'll take, let's say, one of those, and um, I'll ask you about them. Which would you prefer? In fact, you know what? I'm going to ask, because I actually asked this Dutch. We ended up talking about his uh, escorting career for a time. Buff Bagwell. Uh, what do you... Uh, is Buff Bagwell a good candidate for Dark Side of the Ring? Because for the most part, I don't know. I mean, you tell me. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, based on, on what the, the, the show's premise is... Um, you know, Buff came into the business and, you know, had, you know, like all of us, right, this young, green, you know, blank slate and, uh, you know, had that body and had that look and, and uh, you know, had that previous career. You know, those were all the things that were rife to make, you know, a, a, a good story, especially with how we saw him sort of get chewed up in that in that interim, right, the, the, the detritus. Of, of all that damaging stuff that was being done in the business. Uh, my take on Buff, though, is the fact that, yeah, he, he did it, but he survived it, right? That he, he was able to make it through the other side. And, you know, he has his slips here and there. Uh, Buff's a good dude. Like, you know, 
we were government babies when we first got in, right? And uh, uh, you know, to me, I, there's always a level of respect. Anybody can come into this business and uh, persist in it and survive in it and thrive in it. And Buff was always able to figure that out, you know, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, there's always the, the things when people say, well, this, or what about that? Well, yeah, I, you know, and I, you know, nobody's trying to erase any of the bad stuff, but I think if you take it all together and put it all together, uh, you can see the crowd reactions to him, right? So he's obviously connected to the, to the audience, uh, you know, and, and, you know, the thing with his mother, although like, you know, at times it looked a little bit corny and stuff, but I think that's, that's much more akin to the guy that I met back then, you know, that he was a mama's boy and he'd be the first to tell you that, uh, you know, who doesn't love our mothers. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I think more for Buff's story, uh, being on dark side of the ring is not so much, you know, that cloud that's been over him, uh, and, and will rear its head periodically. Uh, but the fact that he's, he survived it when, when the vast hundreds of us didn't survive it. And, you know, uh, he's, people know who Buff Bagwell is. And that's not an easy thing to do in this industry to create a successful character is, is difficult enough. But to create that character and have it survive uh, over such a long period and still be here and still standing. You know, he goes out to these conventions. We, I see him quite often, uh, you know, had to have that surgery and everything and still hobbled around and stuff a bit, but still gets out there, still keeps himself in shape, uh, still gets to meet his fans and talk to his fans. And I, I guess ultimately, like the, 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 what the topics of the dark side of the ring is, there's plenty of that in Buff's career, but there's also plenty of the next chapter. And, you know, to me, it's, what's the old saying? It's not, uh, uh, not, not getting knocked off the horse. It's about getting back up and getting back on the horse. And Buff certainly has exhibited that time and time again. So kudos for him uh, to, to doing that. And uh, I'd be interested to watch that episode, see what see what other stuff comes out of it. Now, I've got four bits of news here to finish on. I'm going to do two quickly, and then we'll finish this podcast up. Uh, we have Hulk Hogan saying he may have one more match. We have Vince Russo's Bitch Slap Federation that he suggested after WCW closed. I don't know if you ever heard about that one. We have the uh, uh, the uh, kicking out of finishers, which is always an interesting topic of debate. And I'm, I will ask Sabu question at the end. But of those three, what would you prefer to talk about? Hulk Hogan, one more match, Vince Russo's Bitch Slap Federation. Do you know what I'm actually going to choose for you? I'm going to say kicking out of finishers because I'm really interested to know what you think. One thing uh, I didn't talk about with Dutch a couple of weeks ago, we watched a match with Samoa Joe versus Hook, Taz's kid. Really? And it was a big step up for Hook. And it, it was all around a pretty darn good match. A good brawl, yeah. pretty intense. Sam, Samoa Joe took over, beat him to death. Sure. Essentially, mm -hmm. choked him out for the win. But there's one thing that a lot of fans weren't happy with. And after a sustained beating, Samoa Joe puts the muscle buster, his finisher. It's almost like a fisherman's suplex and, you know, a, a big kind of thing. And then Hook kicks out at one. <clears throat> and some people were fine with it. Other people were voicing their displeasure at someone sustaining a big beating and then kicking out of somebody's established finisher at one. Where do you... 
sit on as far as kicking out finishes at all and the concept of finishes, finishing moves in wrestling as well. Yeah, it's it's a much overlooked uh, part of our business, I think, today, especially today. Um, finishers are, are important because, A, the fans that follow that wrestler, like, for instance, when Brett slapped on the sharpshooter, the crowd would come up, right, because they know that that's what that means. When Jake would hit the DDT, uh, when Austin would hit his, uh, uh, what was his finisher called? Uh, the... Uh, Stunner. Stunner. Uh, yeah. so I couldn't tell yeah. if you said Austin or Awesome then. So I was thinking, do I say Powerbomb or do I say, yeah, but yeah, Stunner. Yeah, put my false teeth in a little bit better. It's uh, it's some more uh, glue up there. But uh, yeah, you know, there there's there's a point to kick out, even at one on a finisher. And that is uh, when you have that established pairing you know the immovable object versus the irresistible force and this fight has been going on and going on and going on and let's say the heel has not yet hit his finish in any of these matches when the heel finally hits that and does the cover and there's that expectation as the finish and then the baby face kicks out but you build to that it's not just uh like for instance the false finishes uh, you know, like uh, Paul Hamming used to say to me, you know, give me a lot of falsies, you know, uh, before you take it. Okay, well, that's fine. We can do that. But it, it's it's not a one-size-fits-all. If I'm going to go out and wrestle, say, Mikey Whipwreck, who's a lovable loser, somehow keeps find, finding a way to win, as opposed to wrestling, say, Taz. Taz would make, or Bam Bam, or a slew of others would make sense to have to keep hitting them with stuff and hitting them and hitting them and they keep kicking out. And he's in by doing that. But again, that's after a long run, right? That's after this angle has gone back and forth, where it's just now it's becoming a slobber knocker, right? Like no matter what you hit this guy with, he keeps kicking out. It's not just, okay, well, let's just throw in a 25 falsies before we go home. And that's going to make a great match. The great match is predicated off the 25 falsies and the, all the buildup to get that angle to that position. Um, as far as kicking out uh, a finish, it's so overlooked today uh, because, uh, you know, the, the kids go out and they'll have a match and they'll hit your finish, my finish, Moose's finish, everybody's finish, and then lose to, a, you know, to a roll-up or something. There was never a single time that I ever recalled Jake Roberts walking into the dressing room and saying, hey, everybody, I, the DDT is my finish. I'm using it tonight, so don't everybody use that. There was a professionalism in that dress room that you all knew it was his finish. And even if you used him, like Tommy Dreamer like these DDTs quite often, he never would do it on a show that had a Jake Roberts on it or, you know, somebody that would use that kind of thing. I never once had to ask, you know, for nobody to just prostitute the belly-to-belly -belly suplex. Uh, now everything is just sort of thrown on the table. Everything's, you know, at play. And I can do whatever moves of yours I want and whatever else. And not understanding that, well, if I do yours, they kick out a one. Well, that sort of cheapens yours. And said, why'd you beat yours, your guy with it a few matches later? Uh, it's But all this is part of the, the, what we call storytelling and the psychology of our business. There's a reason a superplex comes after a body slam and not vice versa. Um, 
But if you don't know that, you don't take the time, or, or like you know, the adage that I was told at an AEW show, the fans know it's a work, so it doesn't have to make sense. Uh, that's how we get to a place where we'll just throw a whole bunch of false finishes in there and uh, use up everybody's false finish and then, you know, do something like you you stumble over a thimble in the ring and I'll pin you on that. Uh, finishing moves are meant to build to a particular point, not just a throwaway, not just, a, okay, well, I'll give it a try and, and if it doesn't work, I'll just do it again. Uh, but by doing that, by it waters it all down. You know, and you know, now then it becomes like a question of quality. So, well, Jake's work, you know, every time he uses it because he does it differently than that guy does it. Like, that's like really starting to parse hairs. And, you know, it's there are plenty of moves to do that you don't have to go through what are on a, on a card, say eight matches. So, there, so what you're basically saying is there's seven other moves that I have to use because there's just not enough other moves that I can possibly put in there. Uh, that's, you know, incredibly naive and short-sighted. Uh, and, I, and I think that's just another one of the ingredients that I think has taken the product to where we see it today, where you see the numbers being, you know, comparative to what we had said used to watch the business. Um, the, when Jake would even set up for that DDT, the place would lose its mind, right? Because they knew what it meant if he hit it. But if three matches before they all did a DDT as a falsy, and now you do it, it's going to take some of the crowd's still going to pop because it's Jake, uh, you know, at that point of his career. But by doing that, it, it's some, you know, if this is where Jake's finish was going to pop the crowd to, it might only be to here or here now because they've already seen the move a couple times. And it's, it's a professionalism. It's not. Uh, it's not an homage and, and say, so well, I'm going, I'm going, but I couldn't be because I don't do it the same way you do it. A finisher works and it pops the crowd because it's been put on that pedestal through the, through the television show and, and, and being repeatedly seen every time you saw Jake do it. So that's why you get to a point for Jake where he would just, you know, grab the guy and spin his hand and the place would go crazy, right? It didn't even have to hit it, just that point of it. It's because there was so much emphasis put on that. Back then, like it, it, not only would you have trouble with heat with the guy, but you'd have heat with the company. You know, because Vince McMahon or, say, WWF then uh, had put a lot of money and time into making that move to elicit that response. And so if I just go out there and sort of willingly throw it in here and there, maybe do it a second time just because uh, it, 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 it takes some shine off of that move when Jake does it. And uh, I, I I have to go back and watch the match to see, and, and, and you know, and it's uh, in full description like you have given it. Um, I I know that uh, uh, Samoa Joe has a huge respect for Taz, uh, you know, and you can see a lot of Taz mannerisms in him and uh, his character, and a great worker. Uh, I'm sure he wanted to go out and you know help hooks a good kid, uh, you know, and, and doing all that trying to help get him over and, and, and hopefully succeeding, uh, but get there the right way, you know, as far as like going out and cheaping somebody else's false finish or uh, not false finish, but finisher. Um, that I don't know what, if it had any build up to that or whatever else, but if they hadn't had that build up, that time of match after match after match. And now it's just getting to this point where I'm just going to pull a gun out if I have to, to beat you. Uh, that's what makes those false finishes, I mean, those finisher holes work. 
And by cheapening it like that and just throwing it in as a spot and then kicking out on one, uh, they're, you know, they're, it, it tarnishes a bit. To, uh, I mean, it's it's sort of hard to describe. You'd have to watch it yourself, obviously. But as I say, it was towards the end of the match, of course. It, uh, Samoa Joe had been in control for several minutes, sustained beating near the end. Then he hits the muscle bus and then hook kicked out one. You would have to watch it yourself and gauge because everything is taken on its right. own merits every, you know, every situation. Well, and, and, and one more point to make on that. And Joe doing that again because of the affinity and respect he had for Taz. And I'm sure likes likes Hook. And, you know, wants to help him get over uh, that it shows in some respect Hook's heart, right? Like he's mm-hmm. taking this beat. But I, I think, again, it's like, do you like vanilla or do you like chocolate? For me, I would much rather have that guy kick out of two and nine tenths. That shows a world more heart than kicking out on one after getting your ass kicked. We're going to end on this news story. And I've not written anything down apart from Sabu because I forgot to put it on the script, but I know the story pretty well. About two and a half years ago, Sabu sat in the same house you're in now, Chris's house, on his sofa, in one of his little, uh, wherever the room was, I don't know, and announced on my podcast that he was retiring. He was done. He was done with wrestling. His, his body was hurting too much. And this was a few months after Melissa Coates had passed away as well. So oh, yeah. it, obviously his heart just wasn't in it. Right. And then... He said the only reason he'd get back into the uh, f- uh, to do another match is if one he was guaranteed a huge payday, and two if it was against someone really high profile on a high profile event, like in the example he gave us, Brock Lesnar. Now forward to a couple of weeks ago, Sabu was on Briscoe and Bradshaw's podcast and said that he is thinking of doing one more match again. He said the time off has done him well. He's physically recovering. And he would like to sort of have like a retirement match or even a retirement series of matches sort of on his own terms in that sense. And I interviewed Rob Van Dam very recently and he confirmed everything that Sabu had said, that this is something that's been in his mind for a little while. What do you think of Sabu returning? I think he's 59, around that age now. Uh, and, and, so. and, what's, and what's the best way, what's the best course of action for him? to get back in the ring if he is indeed going to do so? Well, the last time I saw him, he was in great shape. Uh, there was a point uh, a while back where he, he looked like he was getting pretty frail, uh, but he looked like he had gotten back in great shape. Uh, the last few times I've seen him, and it's been, I think, Wrestle Cade, was that the last time we saw him? Yes. Seven. Uh, the, uh, you know, he seemed a lot more clear-eyed and uh, clear-headed. Uh, I'm a huge mark for Sabu, and, and I count him as a brother. Uh, he was a transitional figure in wrestling. Uh, and there aren't many of those. You know, uh, I know you're be talking about Tommy Rich. I, I consider Tommy Rich that. Tommy Rich set the template for what babyfaces became ever since. And prior to that, they weren't so much that vain. Uh, I was a traditionalist. I wrestled like the guys that came before me, maybe a few additions in or some things taken out, but pretty much a, a Dominic Tenucci or Bruno San Martino fan would recognize Shane Douglas and, and his style as being you know, reflective of that. Sabu came in in, in ECW and was doing things that nobody had ever seen and doing them in a way that was so uh, solid with psychology uh, he was the first person I remember ever seeing hit those high, those kind of insane high risk moves, but selling himself. 
You know, so it wasn't just like, you know, he splashed on you and he's it's a ta-da, big S on my chest, I'm fine. And it just everything he did fit like a glove. It just it because it was Sabu, it, it worked. And uh, you know, he because of the way he was trained in the business by Sheik, his uncle, uh, that it really uh, he 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 took every stro- he strove with every single move to make it make sense and, and, and keep the psychology consistent. Uh, the first time I saw him at the triple jump moonsault, I you know we were all in the back and ECW was the only place I ever saw this where the entire locker room would be watching and give you feedback when you came back, uh, supportive. And I'm sitting there watching and he sets the chair up, the guy's laying there and he runs the other way. What the hell's he doing? You know, jumps over the guy, the chair, boom, back over the chair. I jumped out of my chair like a kid, like I was 10 years old ago. Oh, oh. it was so impressive. You know, the, the Arabian face buster and the table, first to break through tables. Uh, you know, the, the and then on top of that, the, just the sheer guts that he had when he, uh, the barbed wire literally shredded his bicep and he taped it up real quick and kept on going to the match. And the barbed wire matches that he and Funk had uh, were epic. And, uh, you know, the, the three way dance, uh, you know, I, uh, kudos to Terry and, and, and well, both Terry's, uh, Sabu and Terry Funk, uh, that. You know, they. Uh, I was the guy that got to tag along, you know, and, and go along for that ride. Uh, so I think, yes, Sabu would certainly deserve uh, for the legacies already left uh, that final match. The only thing I would say as a caveat to him is to don't delude yourself. Make sure you, you can go out and do this and not do any kind of irreparable harm or whatever. Uh, but... I don't think the fans out there would be disappointed one bit to see one more great match from Sabu. Uh, it, it, you know, the, you know, Flair set that template right with having his last match, and we had Steamboat, and uh, you know, it becomes a thing like your last match. Uh, I would be somebody would pay to watch that. You know, Sabu is, uh, like I said, one of those guys that transformed wrestling and really brought it up uh, in, into the modern age. Uh, you know. At the same time, he could still do the old school stuff. He could he could do the chain wrestling. He could do the you know the the other stuff that was done prior. Um, but the, the two points to me was Sabu, among so many others, that really put the exclamation point. Sabu exclamation point was the the just the sheer audacity of these new moves that nobody had ever seen done before here in America. But then the fact that he would also sell them on him as well. Uh, it just, to me, it just oozed realism. And uh, you, know, you, know, you go back and you watch a, uh, a Sabu movie. I think it's a lot of what we talk about with the criticism of the current product. You know, you'll see a kid go out and do something, uh, hit some real high-risk move, and he jumps right up and he's fine. Or he gets hit with something and he's down, and then boom, right back up and flying around. Sabu never did any of that. Sabu would be five minutes later still limping if, if he'd hurt his knee or something on the movie he'd done to you. Uh, everything fit like a glove. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see uh, him have that match. And I'd be uh, you know, curious to see who it's against. You know, he, uh, uh, he, he was something special in our business, you know, and, and it was a pleasure to, to be in the dressing room with him and having and, and getting to be the mouthpiece talking about a company that had a guy like that in it, 
right? Because he was so explosive and so transitioning to wrestling. Uh, yeah, count me in as, as, as a watcher. There we go then. Uh, on that note, I'm going to thank you for your time. We did a sort of longer version of this podcast than we normally would do, so I'm afraid the next version of the podcast, which is going to be fan questions, is going to be short to compensate for it. But for now, thank you very much for watching. Fan questions next week, and I think the email is, I've not written it down, Shane Douglas questions you want to be emailing to, Shane Douglas questions at gmail.com to send uh, questions into this show for the franchise himself, Shane Douglas, to answer. For now, thank you very much, everybody, for watching. We'll catch you on Wednesdays now. We've skipped to Wednesdays. Uh, this is a, I should also say, for uh, and for you as well, Shane, we're going to be releasing this early to capture the sort of zeitgeist, as it were, of the Vince McMahon story, of course. And because we didn't do an episode on Wednesday, so it's a bit delayed, so it's sort of a week and a half. But in the future, every Wednesday, this podcast will be coming out. So, Shane, having said that, take us out. Hey, I appreciate you being here sitting under the learning tree at Franchise University. <laughs>